0: Chapter 16 of Master of the Vineyard by Myrtle Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One Little Hour When she awoke in the morning, it was with a bewildering sense of change. Something had happened, and in the first moment, she was not quite sure whether a dream had not boldly overstepped the line into daylight. The faded photograph, propped up on the table at the head of her bed, at once reassured her, and Rosemary smiled with a joy so great that it was almost pain tugging at the fibres of her heart to an outsider perhaps the two faces would have been common enough but one of love's divinest gifts is the power to bestow beauty wherever it goes the old man bent with years with the snows of his fourscore winters lying heavily upon his head may seem an object of kindly pity as he hobbles along with crutch or cane going oh so slowly where once his feet were fain to run from varied joy of living the light may be gone from his faded eyes his dull ears may not respond to question or call but one face waiting at a window shall illumine at the sight of him and one voice thrilling with tenderness shall stir him to eager answer or a woman worn and broken her rough hands made shapeless by toil may seem to have no claim to beauty as the word is commonly understood sleepless nights perchance have dimmed her eyes suffering and sacrifice have seemed and marked her face but those to whom she has given herself see only the great nobleness of her nature the royalty of her soul for the beauty of the spirit may transfigure its earth-bound temple as some vast and grey cathedral with light streaming from its stained-glass windows and eloquent with chimes and singing may breathe incense and benediction upon every passer-by and so for those to whom love has come Beauty has come also, but merely as the reflection in the mirror, since only love may see and understand the thing itself. Purifying, uplifting, and exalting, making sense the humble servant and not the tyrannical master, renewing itself for ever at divine fountains that do not fail, inspiring to fresh sacrifice, urging onward with new courage, redeeming all mistakes with its infinite pardon. This, indeed, is love which neither dies nor grows old. And, since God himself is love, what further assurance do we require of immortality? Upon the two in the faded picture the most exquisite mystery of life had wrought its transfiguration. Vaguely conscious of the unfamiliar and uncomfortable chair in which she sat, the young man looked out upon Rosemary, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, with an all-embracing, all-understanding love. It came to her with a sense of surprise that father was only a little older than she was. He had paused, and she, receiving the gift of life from him, had gone on. And the little mother, brave in her white satin, with her long veil trailing down from her wreath of orange blossoms, she too loved Rosemary. Indeed, with a holy deepening of her soul, she loved the whole world. The picture must have been taken very soon after the ceremony rosemary fancied that they had gone to the photographers with one or more of the wedding guests while the revelry and feasting still went on and yet so soon into the woman's eyes had come the look of wistfulness almost of prayer as though she had suddenly come face to face with the knowledge that love like a child is man's to give and woman's to keep to guard to nourish to suffer for and perhaps last of all to lose The mother-hunger woke in Rosemary a strange longing. What joy to serve this little mother to whom her child was as unknown then as now! What ecstasy to uncoil the smooth strands of brown hair, take the white shoes from the tiny feet, destined to tread the unfamiliar ways of pain, to breathe the soft sweetness of her neck and arms! The big, strong father, lovably boyish now, appealed to her with a sense of shelter, for valiantly he stood or had tried to stand between his child and the world but from the other came something more i think said rosemary to herself that she must have kissed me before she died that day she went about her tasks as might a dweller from another planet who had set his body to carry on his appointed duties while his spirit roamed the blue infinite spaces between the day-stars and the sun early in the afternoon she left the house without asking whether she might go Or saying when she would be back. She even had the audacity to leave the luncheon dishes piled in the sink and unwashed. At the foot of the Hill of the Muses, she paused, then shook her head. She could never go there again, though the thought of Alden now brought no anguish, only a great sadness. A mocking smile curled her lips at the memory of her futile struggles towards stationery and a stamp that she might set him free. How could he be more free than he was? untroubled doubtless by even the thought of her she began to perceive though dimly the divinity that shapes our humblest affairs in the search for an envelope she had found her father and mother as was doubtless meant from the beginning surely she had never needed them more than she did now if it had meant for her to have stationery and to set Alden free in that way it would have been mysteriously provided she was certain of that She saw, too, that the way upon which we are meant to go is always clear, or at least indicated at the time we are meant to take it. That guidance is definitely felt through the soul's own overpowering conviction. The struggle and the terror fell away from her like a garment she had cast aside, and for the moment she emerged into freedom as before she had come into love. Deep in her heart she still loved Alden, but unselfishly, this new rosemary asked nothing for herself she only longed to give though freedom might be her best gift to him harm could come to her only through herself the burning heart and the racked soul had been under the dominion of fear she took the path up along the river that lay half asleep and crooning drowsily to the little clouds that were mirrored upon its tranquil breast tiny blue pools among the rushes at the bend in the stream gave back glints of sapphire and turquoise with now and then a shimmer of gold sometimes upon a hidden rock the river swirled and rippled breaking murmurously into silver and pearl but steadily beneath in spite of all outward seeming the current moved endlessly toward its sea-born destiny as man himself unto the everlasting singing among the far hills and rushing downward in a torrent of ecstatic life the river had paused in the valley to rest dreaming perchance of the long cool shadows in the uplands the far altar fires of daybreak there were pleasant things to do in the valley to lie at full length basking in the sun to hum a bit of the old music to touch gently the harp-strings of the marsh grass and rushes dimpling with pleasure at the faint answer to reflect every passing mood of cloud and sky even to hold the little clouds as a mother might upon its deep and tender bosom there were lily pads to look after too bird shadows and iridescent dragonflies, sunset lights to deepen and spread afar and at night all the starry hosts of heaven to receive and give back in luminous mist to the waiting dusk dawn came to the river while the earth still slept it was day upon the waters while night lingered upon the shore and too long after the abundant life of field and meadow was stilled in dreamless peace past the power of the fairy lamp-bearers to stir or to annoy the river lay awake and watchful as some divinely appointed guardian of the soul of things the peace of it came to rosemary as she walked with a sense of healing of balm she saw plainly how grandmother had wronged her every day of her life but set resentment aside simply as something that did not belong to her the appointed thing came at the appointed time in the appointed way there was no terror save her own fear Outside herself was a mass of circumstance beyond her control, but within herself was the power of adjustment, as when two dominant notes are given, the choice of the third makes either dissonance or harmony. Tired at last, for she had walked far upstream into the hills, Rosemary sat down upon a convenient rock to rest. The shores were steep now, but just beyond her was a little cleft between two hills, a pleasant sunny space with two or three trees and a great rock narrowing back into a thicket she went on after a few moments down the slope to the level place lay at full length upon the thick turf and drank thirstily from the river in a moment she heard the slow splash of oars and the murmur of voices both low and deep though one evidently belonged to a man and one to a woman boats were infrequent upon the river and not caring to be seen "'She stepped back into the thicket until it should pass. "'The voices came nearer and nearer, "'the man's full-toned and vaguely familiar, "'the woman's musical, vibrant, and in a way, familiar too. "'A single powerful stroke brought the boat into view "'as it rounded the curve. "'It was Alden and Edith. "'The girl stepped back still farther into the sheltering thicket, "'repressing the cry of astonishment that rose to her lips.' acutely self-conscious it seemed that the leaves were no protection that she stood before them helpless unconcealed trembling she sat down on a low flat stone for she had suddenly become too weak to stand much to her dismay alden swung the head of the boat toward the shore they were going to land mute and frightened she watched him as he assisted her to the shore saw him return to the boat for a basket covered with a white cloth and draw the oars up to the bank Rosemary instantly comprehended the emotions of an animal in a trap. She scarcely dared to breathe, much less move. Unwilling to listen, she put her fingers in her ears and turned her head away, but presently the position became so strained and uncomfortable that she had to give it up. Their voices were plainly audible. I thought I heard a rustle behind that thicket, said Edith. "'She was lovely in her gown of pale green linen "'and carried a white linen parasol instead of wearing a hat. "'It's a bird or a squirrel,' he assured her. "'Nobody ever comes here.' "'Are we nobody?' "'Indeed not. We're everybody. "'The world was made just for us two. "'I wish I could believe you,' Edith returned sadly. "'Then she added with swift irrelevance, "'Why do people always take hard-boiled eggs to picnics?' "'To mitigate the pickles,' he responded. There always are pickles, see? I knew mother would put some in. Wine, too, commented Edith, peering into the basket. Why, it's almost a party. Alden's face took on a grave sweet boyishness. I did that myself, he said. Mother didn't know. Wait until I tell you. The day I was born, my father set aside all the wine that was that day ready for bottling. There wasn't much of it all these years it's been untouched on one particular shelf in the storeroom waiting in dust and cobwebs at sunset he went to mother and told her what he had done it's for the boy he said it's to be opened the day he finds the woman he loves as i love you and edith's voice was almost a whisper the time has come i may have found her only to lose her again but she's mine for to-day He filled two small glasses, and solemnly they drank. The light mood vanished as surely as though they had been in a church at some unwanted communion. Behind the leafy screen, Rosemary trembled and shook. She felt herself sharply divided into a dual personality. One of her was serene and calm, able to survey the situation unemotionally, as though it were something that did not concern her at all. The other was a deeply passionate, loving woman, who had just seen her life's joy taken from her forever alden leaning back against the rock near which they sat was looking at edith as a man looks at but one woman in all his life to rosemary trembling and cold it somewhat brought a memory of her father's face in the faded picture at the thought she clenched her hands tightly and compressed her lips so much she had made hers eternally by a grave No one could take from her the thrilling sense of kinship with those who had given her life. Edith looked out upon the river. Her face was wistful and as appealing as a child's. Found, she repeated, though only to lose again. Perhaps not, he answered hopefully. Wait and see. Life is made of waiting, she returned sadly. Woman's life always is. Then, with a characteristically quick change of mood, she added laughingly, i know a woman who says that all her life before she was married she was waiting for her husband and that since her marriage she has noticed no difference alden smiled at the swift anticlimax then his face grew grave again he packed the few dishes in the basket rinsed the wine glasses in the river brought them back and gave one to edith we'll break the bottle he said and the glasses too they shall never be used again the shattered crystal fell "'tinkling as it went. "'The wine made a deep purple stain upon the stone. "'He opened his arms. "'No,' whispered Edith. "'It only makes it harder when—' "'Beloved, have you found so much sweetness in the world "'that you can afford to pass it by?' "'She did not answer, so he said pleadingly, "'Don't you want to come?' "'She turned toward him, her face suddenly illumined. "'I do, with all my soul I do.' "'Then come, for one little hour, for one dear hour. "'Ah, dearest, come!' "'Rosemary averted her face, unable to bear it. "'When she turned her miserable eyes toward them again, "'allured by some strange fascination she was powerless to analyse, "'Edith was in his arms, her mouth crushed to his. "'Dearest, dearest, sweetheart, beloved,' the man murmured, "'I love you so.' There was a pause, Then he spoke again. Do you love me? Yes, she breathed. A thousand times, yes. Say it, he pleaded. Just those three words. I love you, she answered, for everything you have been and everything you are, and everything you are going to be, for always. I love you with a love that is yours alone. It never belonged to anyone else for the merest fraction of a second, and never can. It was born for you, lives for you, and will die when you need it no more. Ah, he said, but I need it always. I've wanted you all my life. And will, she sighed, trying to release herself. Edith, don't. I can't bear it. Take the golden hour as the glittering sands of eternity sweep past us. So much is yours and mine, out of all that is past and to come as you wish she responded then after another pause she said don't you want to read to me rosemary dumb and hopeless saw them sit down close together and lean against the rock where the sunlight made an aureole of edith's hair he slipped his arm around her and she laid her head upon his shoulder with a look of heavenly peace upon her pale face never had the contrast between them been more painful than now for edith with love in her eyes was exquisite beyond all words. Alden took a small red book out of his pocket. With a pang, Rosemary recognized it. Was nothing to be left sacred to her? She longed to break from her hiding-place, face them both with stern, accusing eyes, snatch the book which meant so much to her, ask for this much at least to keep. Yet she kept still, and listened helplessly, with the blood beating in her ears in his deep musical voice alden read once more her gifts that he said softly was the night i knew yes edith answered the night i found the book and brought it home rosemary well remembered when edith had found the book her strange sense of a dual self persisted yet none the less her heart beat hard with pain he went on choosing a line here and there as he turned the marked pages but avoiding entirely some of the most beautiful sonnets because of their hopelessness at last holding her closer he began on this sweet bank your head thrice sweet and dear i lay and spread your hair on either side and see the new-born wood-flowers bashful-eyed look through the golden tresses here and there on these debatable borders of the year springs foot half falters scarce she yet may know the leafless blackthorn blossom from the snow and through her bowers the wind's way still is clear oh breathed rosemary with her hands tightly clenched dear god have pity heedlessly alden went on but April's sun strikes down the glades to-day so shut your eyes upturned and feel my kiss creep as the spring now thrills through every spray your warm throat to your warm lips for this he dropped the book lifted edith's chin and kissed her throat then her mouth she laid her hand upon his face dear and lonely and hungry-hearted she said how long you wanted me yes he murmured but i've found you now how long they sat there rosemary never knew for her senses were dulled She did not hear their preparations for departure, but saw the boat swinging out into the current with the sunset making golden glory of the river and of Edith's hair. When the sound of the oars ceased, she rose, numb and cold, and came out into the open space. She steadied herself for a moment upon the rocks against which they had leaned. Service, she said to herself, and sacrifice. Giving, and not receiving. Asking, not answer yet she saw that even now this could be neither sacrifice nor denial because it was something she had never had she laughed a trifle bitterly and went on home another thought keeping time with her footsteps the appointed thing comes at the appointed time in the appointed way there is no terror save my own fear End of chapter sixteen